and like I said, I've said this to, I mean, I told this a version of the story on an open source podcast that had about 40,000 listeners. I Have do, you never heard anything uh, from him suggesting you not to say this? The or funny thing about it is that actually I think he kind of revels in the fact that he has this reputation. He and I still <laughs> communicate. I mean, the funny thing is that Crunch is one of the few people I know who knew me in Australia then. Yeah. He's one of the few people. And fast forward, I can't remember. I think it was probably 2001. It could have been 2000. Crunch is periodically contacted to participate in documentaries. And one day when I think this is the first time I'd seen him since the energy blockage removal thing, he contacted me and he said, I'm in Sunnyvale going to San Francisco and I'm part of this documentary thing. Would you like to kind of tag along? And I thought, and we'll finish the massage. <laughs> my life, if, if anything, I've tried to be as forgiving and interesting oh, okay, as yeah. possible through aspects of it. So I thought, I'm too old for this guy to abuse currently, and moreover, I'm too yeah I'm, yeah you're I'm too assert- yeah. to the game yeah yeah you know what's going on and uh, so, you're in control. <laughs> so we ended up in San Francisco, where mysteriously I and when this happened further on, because I actually thought about this and in future occasions, I always bought separate rooms. But in this one occasion, <laughs> for whatever reason, we ended up in the same room at the YMCA in San Francisco. <laughs> How interesting. Not a lot of sleep was had by Tom. Tom kept one eye open for the entire (laughs) evening. Yeah, the most curious part of that was, thankfully, they had separate showers. But the showers were also the restrooms, and you needed a key. They gave you one key, which was for both the showers and the restroom. Yeah. So after this sleepless night of one eye open with, you know, Crunch in the bed next to me, (sighs) I went to shower first thing in the morning, thinking that he was still asleep. And halfway mid-shower... I heard this kind of insane kind of bongo drumming banging from the door and it was Crunch screaming to let me into the shower so he could use the urinal. And I just thought, this is too surreal in my life as far as these things go. Yeah, I like my quiet life. Yes. <laughs> yes. But no, I have seen him probably half a dozen times since, usually in very... There was one occasion where I just... Usually in public. <laughs> well, no, actually, very rarely in public, but I, we have a demarcation associated, and he typically has, like, these boy flunkies that are around him. There's a photo of me and wow. him. Um, he, we were... I don't know. We always end up going to Denny's when I'm with him. He always orders the breakfast, the slam with the bacon and things. Um, we, end, we were going to a Denny's to meet some, to meet his latest, you know, young man that he was, um, spending time with, who was actually a, a Iraq, um, veteran. Yeah. And, um, he refuses to, talking about bad driving, he refuses to allow stoplights to stop him. So when he comes to a four-way light series, he will, um, take the, um, you know, he'll take the right-hand turn and right-hand yeah, turn yeah. again to avoid the light. Yeah, right, yeah. So we, did, we did this manoeuvre. <laughs> we did this manoeuvre. What else would, I, would you do? And yeah. when we finally swung round back into traffic, <laughs> the inside of the car exploded with this sports energy drink that had been in the Las Vegas sun for, I guess, two days and covered the inside of the car, including both of us, with this horribly disgusting, sticky sports energy drink. Like, the car, absolutely, it was impossible to see through this stuff as it covered it. Crunch didn't (laughs) even bat an eyelid. Like, I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? And he was just like... He didn't even notice it. (laughs) So we pulled over, I ran into some gas station, got all this 
paper towel, tried to clean it up, and he was just like, this stuff always happens to me. You know, he had that whole, that's his whole thing, is that these crazy things that happen to him are uh, just a function of the world. The world has nothing to do with him, of course. (laughs) He had... So he has, obviously he's got these homebrew people from, like, you know, the homebrew club. Well, so he's still around? He is still around. He too Well, so he's doing now. great. You know, that's yeah. cool. He's doing yeah. a good, you know, he's just fucking crazy as hell, but, you know, what the hell? Yeah. He's, he's here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Is he doing anything worth he never, he's while? He's the first or... gump of technology. That's his existence. He goes around and, you know... He does these things. It's not his, he's not, you find that he has met a number of really quite interesting people in technology, but he's never, you know, he, I mean, the stuff associated with Easy no, Writer, so he, no, which he, was yeah. the word processor that he had yeah. a connection with, and then he worked at Apple very briefly, and then he worked at Autodesk very briefly, and the, there are all these parts of his life yeah. where he's he's been doing different things. Well, he's more of a marketer, though. I mean, yeah. or, or uh, yeah, yeah, a, a, not a salesperson, but, you know, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. There was a character called Steve Innes who was part of the original homebrew. And Steve Innes called me when I lived in Las Vegas and said, can I leave my stuff at your apartment? And I had never actually met Steve Innes, but I knew he was Cruncher's guy. And I said, um, no, I don't know you, unfortunately, Steve. And he said, well, I'm getting kicked out of this house. There was a house that Crunch was connected with that was owned by... There was a a Miami music producer called Stevie B who was part of Miami Sound. And the music producer who produced him was Crunch's new business partner. And they had this house in Vegas. And every time I went to it, they had things like... Originally, I had the gold records up on the wall. Then the gold records had disappeared. And then the light switches started to disappear. And then there was no food in the house. And then I started basically referring it to the crack house in suburbia. Anyway, this guy was in the crack house in suburbia for a period of time. And then he'd been kicked out. So I, I'm the last person to have spoken to him. His cell phone was dying as he was wandering off into the desert. I mean, he was completely nuts. Yeah. Two years later, the uh, Wall Street Journal did an article on Crunch and they referenced Stevenus. In fact, they gave a quote from Stevenus. And when I talked to Crunch a few weeks after that, I said, oh, is Stevenus back? And he said, no, no one's heard from Stevenus. I said, well, how can the Wall Street Journal reference someone who's been missing, you know, presumed dead for the past two years? He was, you know, these, I mean, eventually one of these days, <laughs> the crunch story is going to be told true. And I've been caught. Co- no, it may not. There may, no, that may not ever happen. I've been contacted by It may not even exist. All there are are the different stories. That's it. So while I was still in Australia, in fact, just before I left, I was contacted by, and Doug Rushkoff, I mean, the background story to all of this is that Doug Rushkoff's Siberia was originally going to be mainly on Crunch, because Doug found Crunch at this period of time and found him so kind of fascinating slash disturbing <laughs> that he was going to yeah. devote an entire book to him. Yeah. And then the yeah. publisher said, actually, legal might want to get involved with this. You do make a few claims of interest here. But um, before I left Australia, there was a historian who contacted me who was writing this up and had gotten the original court transcripts of his various trials and had done a wide variety of things, which were really quite curious. It only He only was able to get it published um, in short form in two articles in an internet magazine at the time. That's a, for folks who are too young to understand this, there was a period in the late 90s <laughs> where there were actual paper magazines about the internet. Yeah, they were so funny to magazines. think about that now. You've gotten by a magazine. <laughs> you bought a magazine about the internet. <laughs> That's right. I remember too. Yeah, you've got to explain these things. So yeah. anyway, I, 
Yeah, I think, I mean, historically, I think these things are probably very interesting, but I don't know if they'll ever be properly captured. I just think well, they exist not. as stories, yeah. you know. Well, that, again, that's all, but yeah. that's all there ever is. Yeah. Is, is there's all these stories, all the people involved have stories and all the people they knew have stories about their stories and, and, and there's, that all fits into this environment yeah. and that's what there is. I was the first person to put photographs of John Draper online, and there have been photographs since, but my photographs are frequently used. Actually, I was contacted by a company in Qatar that actually wanted to own the photographs because they've been used so much and start litigating based on their use. But I have a series of maybe 20 photographs that I took of John Draper over that period of time that have been very heavily used, including photographs in my dorm room and other things. Yeah, he's uh, he's quite a character. How old is he now? He's... um. I think he was born either in 1940 or 1942. Okay, so he's an old fart. Yeah. It's amazing, actually, the amount of abuse that he's put into his body as well, that he's still, he's still here. 